The following audio content is a talk from Tuesday Evening Worship, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash young adults. Hey, listen, my name's John. I know some of you guys have, uh, might be new tonight. Some of you have been here for a few weeks and, and maybe haven't had a chance to say hi. I would love, if, you, if I haven't met you yet, please come up and talk to me afterwards. I would love uh, to be able to meet you. Um, we are, as you know, going through a series on the life of David called Running at Giants. And in this series, we're, we're looking at this incredible life in which there's sort of this wonderful convergence of, of heaven and earth. We have this incredibly earthy guy, David, who is messy. If there's anything about David's life, it's messy. And yet there's this tenacity as he seems to run after, with everything he has, to run after God. So that as we started off the first week, quoting uh, Psalm 18, he says, with my God, I can run right out a garrison, right out a troop. I can, I can leap over a wall. And there's something about David for us to learn. Not to emulate every part of his life, but there's something for us to learn in the midst of that. Well, last week we talked about friendship and this incredible friendship of David and Jonathan. And that sometimes with our own stories, the most important person in our story, certainly in certain chapters, is not usually ourselves. It's somebody else. It's somebody that helps to carry us through. And certainly for David, It was his friendship with Jonathan that actually carried his story through so that it did not come to a bad end. Well, in an age in which we are probably more connected in some ways than ever, we're more independent, we're more free, we're able to move around uh, more than any other time in history. And yet also we see rates of anxiety and depression and loneliness being higher than any other time in history. There's a sense in which we need to also hear Something of this ancient wisdom that comes out of this story of David and Jonathan. Well, this idea of friendship and what we can learn out of Scripture was important enough, it seemed to me, that we should linger on it for one more week. One more week beyond simply kind of touching on the friendship of David and Jonathan and moving on. And so, as I mentioned last week, what we're going to do tonight is we're going we're, we're gonna to have a convergence. We're going to have one topic and a couple different perspectives. And I hope that some of your perspectives will be able to come out uh, this evening. But I want you to hear from three people, and I'm going to ask the panel if they would, if they would come on up. Uh, three different people that I have come to, to know and love and greatly respect. And I, I threw down this challenge to them. I said, I want you to come in, and I want you to, to share with the group, you know, just a couple minutes, one point that comes out of your understanding of Scripture that has helped to guide you in developing friendships that move beyond simply, yeah, I've said hi, I know who you are, but the friendships that, that help you get through the mess. Friendships that run, that run deep. And so we're going we're gonna to hear uh, from a number of folks uh, tonight. But I, I just want to throw this out there. I want, at the end, we're going to open it up a little bit. If you have a question that comes out of something that you heard this evening from, from, from one of our panelists, or if you have something that you would just share with the group as, as you have experienced developing friendships, the kind of friendships that really help you to become the best person that you can, who God has created you to be. If you wanted to share, hey, here's one thing that I would share that has been just vital for me in developing solid friendships. I would love to be able to hear from you afterwards uh, or if you have a question. So I'm going to plant that. And for those of you whose hearts start thumping a little bit, you know that uh, you'll need to follow it up. So um, I had my Bible. There we go. My stuff. Uh, our, the panelists I've asked to come in tonight are, uh, first of all, uh, Dave Lutz. He has been a regular uh, speaker here. Many of you have saw him a lot last year. 
uh, he will be speaking with us uh, again this year. He is, uh, has a private practice, is a licensed counselor, uh, practice down in Fremont. He also has a great uh, background in, in ministry, uh, an MDiv from Princeton, and did college ministry for a number of years. Emily Vansel works with Greek ministries, with university ministries, reaching out to uh, the whole Greek community here. We're one block away, and one of the great strengths of this church is that we have taken seriously who are our neighbors, and so we have reached out to the, the Greek community, and Emily has come in and done a great job with that over the last couple of years. And then David Hallgren, who is director of, uh, of all the children's activities and the children's ministry that happens on Sunday uh, evenings here, and uh, you'll get to learn a little bit more about him later, too. So... But Dave, I'm gonna I'm gonna start this off with you. And I, you know, one of the things as I thought about um, Jonathan last week, that uh, you and I started thinking about my Jonathans. You get on the list of my Jonathans, and and one of the things that's been fun for me is that over the years we bumped into each other all the time. And I remember actually going on a walk when I was just a college kid, and I came down here because I was dating an intern. And I went on one of the university ministries retreats, and I, I asked Dave, I said, Dave, I gotta, I'm thinking about some more schooling, I want to talk to you. And even back then, there was something I knew that I, that I loved about this guy. And since then, you know, I've really appreciated the way you've come along and encouraged me. And so the thing I love about you is you've got this varied background. And so as you think personally, kind of professionally, uh, ministry-wise, counseling-wise, as you think about this, what, what, is, what has guided you? Okay, this is on? Okay, great. Well, I actually am honored that you would say that, John. I think that that's actually, we were sitting up there, and I think, I feel like that in your life. And I definitely feel that same camaraderie from you as well. So that's that's honoring to me. With, with When I was thinking about this, um, you guys, the thing that I think, especially as I, as I do my work with people, and just personally in my own life, um, I think that if I were going to make one point, I think that the kind of friendships that are deep and nourishing and propel me forward, I sort of have this sense in me that God has a vision for me. And the friendships around me that, 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 that propel me in that way, I think, come easier in my life the more settled I am on some really core questions. That when I get settled on those core questions, that somehow those friendships um, come more easily. They're generated. They're sustained. Um, they're propelled into the uh, propelled into the future. So that for me is the when I when I'm working with people, and they're they're coming. They're saying, you know, I feel lonely, or I feel lost, or I feel like I can't make the kind of friendships I want, or the kind of friends that I have. I'm not sure if they're leading me towards that that sense of where I feel this kind of itch in me that I'm supposed to go, that God is urging me on. Um, and so actually, I've, I've, I started throwing this question out to, uh, to guys that I work with, and, and, um, and we kind of came up with about six core questions. So I'll read them to you. Um, the first question that I think is, is, is helpful is, do I matter and have a purpose? Um, are you settled on that? Do you have a sense of, do you matter? And do you have a purpose in your life, or is that up for grabs? You question that when you walk around. Maybe I don't matter. I guess I won't talk then. Well, maybe I won't speak up. Maybe I won't go join that thing, or maybe I won't go on that, because I don't, I don't know if I count. I don't know if I'm, I'm going to try and be as invisible as I can, because I'm not sure if I matter or if I have a purpose in this world. Second one, um, do I make sense? You know, we've all got things in our lives that we just go, why the heck did I do that? 
or why the heck do I think that way or why do I feel that way? Um, and that sense of do you believe? Do you, are you settled down in, in your core that you know what? If I add up all the things in my life, the events that were happening, the beliefs that I was given growing up, or the, the chemistry that's even, even, if, even how I am inside. Um, some of you guys with some of the ADD te- uh, symptoms that you never knew you had, and you can't figure out why you said that one thing at that one time that everybody looked at you and went, why would you say that? And you've, you're like, oh, I must just be crazy, or I must be an idiot. And you're walking around trying to hide that. Um, do you make sense? Do you believe if you were to add everything up, that you could go, you know what, it makes sense that you said exactly what you said. Um, am I a lovable person at my core? That's a tough one. There's a lot of us that can walk around all the time with that. I hope I'm lovable. I'm going to pretend like I'm lovable. But if anyone knew me behind the scenes, would they still find me lovable? Would they still want to be with me? Um, four. And this is a big one right now, especially in this chapter of life, I think, especially post-college. It's big all the way through life, but especially right now, it's like, do I have what it takes? That question uh, is one that I think constantly is, if, if, there was a, if there's a question that I think nags at me a lot, is that question of, do I have what it takes? Um, do I have what it takes to make it through whatever this challenge is? Do I have what it takes to think this through? Do I have what it takes to persevere? Do I have what it takes to find people that know the answers that I don't have? When I don't know that question, all kinds of anxiety can come up and that sense of trying to prove yourself or try to pretend like you've got it all together. Um, when I was in ministry, I think a lot of that. when I listen back over some of the sermon tapes, I can sound like I had it all together and I didn't have it all together. I know I didn't. But I think a lot of times I felt that pressure to, to try and pretend as if I had what it takes, that I can do this thing. Um, this is the one, and the, this is the fifth one, is a sh- it can sound like a shallow one. Um, but I honestly, I watch more di- people do more damage to themselves when they haven't answered this question. And it is, it, am I attractive in a way that gives life? And it's one of those questions that I think people don't want to talk about because it sounds like we as Christians, we shouldn't even worry about that. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be thinking about that. But I think mentally, intellectually, spiritually, and physically, when that question is up for grabs, people do all kinds of things um, that, can, that can generate kind of this, this energy of kind of franticness. Um, it, can, it can generate eating disorders. It can generate destructive behaviors. Um, a preoccupation with yourself that sort of eliminates you from really forming an authentic community? It's a tough question, especially if, if you're raised in a family where, where maybe weight was commented on or where you were told that you were not as smart as so-and-so or where you were mocked. There's some families that I know where mocking is sort of the, the way of kind of communicating. And so there's this kind of deep inside belief that, that, uh, uh, that I'm not attractive. Um, that could be devastating for people. The sixth one is, am I forgiven? That feeling of, is it done? That thing that you did, whether it was your fault, not your fault, best choice you made, I know you make sense, but do you have that sense that God sees you and says, I know it, and it's done. You're forgiven. It's over. 
people walking around with that sense that they are not sure about whether or not that's taken place. Not really. Can walk around with this guilt strapped to their body. Like they're walking around with this backpack and someone just keeps adding in weight. And all of the work that they do, the career they choose, the people that they choose to be around are all around trying to earn back a sense of being lovable, of mattering, of, of, of being attractive, of being okay. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about a guy that when I was talking about this with some guys, this guy, um, I often tell people I feel like I've got the biggest scam going in the world because a lot of the best stuff I come up with is just stuff that people are coming to me and, and coming up with. And this guy, he's talking about these, these core questions, and he says, you know, he says, I was, I was thinking about these things, and I was out on a walk praying and just talking to God, and, and he says, I felt like people would see me as very confident. People would think I'm one of those people that have it together, that, that, that feel grounded, that people look at and go, well, that guy, you know, he doesn't have any insecurities. He says, he says That's, it was so not true about me. He goes, it was so not true. Um, and he says, I, wa- I was walking, and I started just picturing this. He says that there was this small chapel in the church that he went to, and in this chapel there's this kind of this cross that was kind of handmade. It wasn't that polished. It was just kind of two pieces of, of wood just kind of kind of tacked together, just pretty basic. And he said, I start thinking about that. He said, what I realized was that basically all my life I've been in this big argument with God about what God says about me. And that that cross was God's definitive answer to every single one of these questions. He says, as long as I was trying to base my answer of these questions on how popular I felt or how successful I felt or how much I could fool everybody, he goes, I was up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And if I had a great week at work, I was great. If I had great people telling me great things, I was great. If my people commented on my looks, I felt great. He goes, but that cross, he says, I looked at it and just sort of settled it for me. So what God was saying is, when, when I came here for you, when I lived my life, when I went through my death, when I went through my resurrection, the truth is, what I was telling is, you matter. You do have a purpose. You do make sense. All of those questions are definitive yes. So he said, that night was the night when I finally said, God, you win. I'm going to give up that argument. He says, ever since then, he goes, he goes, I have my days. He goes, but it's almost like getting settled in that. These core questions based on the cross of Jesus Christ. He goes, it's almost like different people are being drawn to me. There's something they can tell. They can sense that settledness in me, that core settledness, that I am not asking them to complete me, that Jerry Maguire line. I'm not asking for them to be the one that constantly tells me I'm good, I matter, I have a purpose, I'm attractive, I make sense. And that different core It's like people just feel comfortable around me. They feel a sense of space, a sense of acceptance, because I don't need that from them. So that would be my point. Get settled on the core core questions and and get settled on it, not based on on you or what people told you, but what what God has told us in in the cross. Well, Emily, I... um... 
we we started right about the same time. I think I was only here for a few weeks, and I saw you in the office coming in for an interview, which was so great because I bumped into you years beforehand. And uh, when I, you were hired as group coordinator, I was so glad because I just I knew, you just ooze kind of relationship. You just people just want to be around you. I want to be around you. It's like you're you're just this great personality, and and certainly so much of what you do with Greek ministries is about relationship and is about forming relationship. And I know uh, I won't go in. To your whole background, but so much of your background is about is about relationship and friendship. And so, as as you have thought about this, I mean, what it, what's guided you? Yeah. Um. Thanks, John. Uh, appreciate that. And um. First, just to comment on what Dave was sharing, I know that I have asked those questions, so I just include myself in kind of the human race of maybe asking those mm-hmm. core questions. Um. And. Also, I think when John asked me to talk about this, um, I can definitely get fired up and really excited um, and passionate, I would say, about talking about friendships that run deep, partly because I feel like the Lord um, has given me a few of those friends that have just been there um, through the messes that I have been in in my life. And I would say a season after, um, year, the years after I graduated college were some of those seasons that were just really brutal um, for me, and it wasn't even until a couple years um, ago, until I really kind of started this job, that some of that stuff started to feel settled, um, like Dave was, Dave was saying. Um, so I feel like I've been blessed with a few good friends that have gotten me through those hard times, and I've also, in the midst of that, felt the loneliness of not having community. Um, and I've even asked John, I remember one time coming to John, knowing that he's connecting with young adults and just saying, I'm a young adult here at UPC, and I have a need and a longing for community too. So anyway, um, this idea of friendship is definitely something that resounds um, with me. And I want to share a story, um, and the scripture that I want to share comes out of this, and it comes really from um, some of my friendships that were formed during college. Um, Yeah, and it it has formed a theme for me as I've approached friendships post-college. Um, and it really came about because there was a group of girls. As John said, I was in a well, I was in a sorority. That's why I'm kind of focusing on the Greek system now. Um, I was in a sorority, and there was a bunch of girls that somehow we'd met, we'd been introduced to each other, and we all were living in our sororities and had kind of had a missional mindset being there. We kind of felt like there was a purpose for us being there that we would have the opportunity to share. Um, the message of Christ, the gospel, with the people that we are living with that probably wouldn't come with us um, to church where they might talk with us in their room or our rooms or whatnot. So anyway, um, friendships, we kind of started meeting together on a regular basis to talk about how we could be strategic. We were all intense at that time in college, like, we're going to go and, you know, change the sororities. And um, so we started to meet meet regularly. Um, and it happened in our senior year, so that we'd been meeting for a couple years, in our senior year, um, there had come about that there was a little bit of criticism. I, I had heard a criticism from one person about us and these girls meeting together that maybe it was exclusive. And so I was kind of like, I don't want to have anything to do with something that's exclusive. So maybe I just need to toss this whole thing. So I brought that to these group of girls that all kind of had this missional mindset with me about being in sororities and just said, maybe we just need to stop meeting together. Like, let's just, maybe we just need to let this go. Um, and it was a hard conversation. What ended up coming about was that one of the girls in this group who is, now I would say that she's my passionate friend, Quinn, but she basically put her foot down and said, no, like we will keep meeting together. And she ended up sharing the verse that she shared that was kind of our inspiration is the one that's up on the board. But Hebrews 
10.25, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. As I read this, and as she shared with us then, it's a really a simple message of let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but continue to encourage each other, um, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Um, and so the theme, I think, that I've thought about, that I've taken with me from that scripture and, and facing post-college, because right after college, a um, group of friends kind of scattered. I don't know if you had that experience in your life, is um, the sense of not giving up meeting together um, and persevering, that in, in friendship, there's a sense of persevering um, with one another, not stopping meeting together. And though, I, like I said, that sounds really simple, um, but what my experience was after college was that some of those girls that had become um, some of those close friends, like I said, they moved, I moved. I'm, I had about six different addresses in about two years. It was just crazy. And then came back to Seattle and felt this deep longing um, for community. Yet really what I wanted was just to be with the friends that I'd already had, to be with those friends that had been close friends before. And I didn't really want to make new friendships. Um, but this idea from the scripture of, continue to meet together, that you would continue to meet together. Let's not give up meeting together and that there's wisdom in that, wisdom in meeting with the community and with the people that are present um, present in your life. Um, and I think one thing, as I've thought kind of about that, is that one thing that holds me back from continuing to meet with people and to be present with people is just that there can be um, a way that I might idealize what a friendship might be, or what a person might be, um, and what a friendship might be, what a small group might be. Um, and in some ways, I feel like my little theme for tonight of persevering and not giving up meeting together could sound like a big plug for small groups. And that really is true, because I think I found some of my good friends um, through meeting in a small group, and not knowing that in meeting together, that those were going to be the people um, that in the end would come through and be with me. Um, during hard times that they surprised me. So like I said, I think there can be times that can idealize what someone would be or what a small group would be um, instead of just letting them be what they are and who knows down the road who they might be. So that's my encouragement, um, to persevere and to um, persevere in meeting together and not holding people um, to a small box of what they might be in your life. Great. Thanks, Emily. Da- David... Um, Practically is one of my in-laws. Uh, he is he is married to uh, my wife's best friend, so I have to like him. Uh, you know, you stuck with him. But he actually is one of the guys that is part of that Furwood that camp connection that has been so important. I mentioned last week that has been so important for me, and David has done that uh, has been that way especially. I think I was counting it up this afternoon, and, and it makes me feel old. But we've uh, I met David 15 years ago, and we kind of started a friendship uh, late night around a campfire after all the kids had, had gone to sleep. Uh, the details of those will be undisclosed. Um, but it was the start of a great friendship, and it was the start of uh, my real, uh, really gaining in respect for, for David. So, David, for, for you, as you think about this, I mean, what is it that uh, has kind of guided you? Well, first I have to say it's I love the, what you guys have said, the Dave, I feel like you, you really spoke to the business that we individually have to do um, to engage in healthy friendship. The, the 
who we are as individuals and who we go into our friendships with. Uh, really doing that business is an integral part of that. And then, uh, Emily, it was awesome how you talked about, okay, then that circle widens just a little bit and we include others in small uh, ways. In a lot of ways, those are the places we find that trusting place where we learn how to be a friend with people we trust and that safety. Um, the the thing that I would love to speak to is in investing well in that, and it, it moves perfectly from what you guys have said, and it's the action that comes from being a friend. And John has shared about the friendship with David and Jonathan, which is hilarious because my name's David and his name's Jonathan, and I think that's awesome. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, I first off, I just want to share. I had a I had a couple. My best friends growing up um, were both named Jeff, and um, I just want to share a story how I met uh, my friend, one of my friends, Jeff. He lived down the street. We met on the first day of kindergarten uh, when in back in the 1970s when I was in kindergarten. Uh, it was awesome. I had my brand new bell bottoms on and went out and. Uh, and was waiting for the bus. And we lived in a really small farm town, so our parents, and it was the 70s, so our parents didn't really come out and wait at the bus with us. Um, so it was just me and Jeff waiting at the bus stop, and and we talked and, you know, introduced ourselves in kindergartner ways. And uh, one of the ways that Jeff introduced himself to me was to show me where his dog lived in his dog kennel. And... Um, invited me in to his dog kennel, and of course, it would be rude not to to go into it. Um, so I went in, and Jeff locked the, the door, and then the bus came, and Jeff was torn. He was torn between, do I, do I let my new friend out of the kennel, or do I, do I catch the bus? And Jeff was really responsible, so he, he made the bus, uh, and... And I'll never forget the looking back, and this is when I knew we were going to be friends, is he looked back and he didn't like way, he didn't smile and be like, ha ha. He, he just kind of looked back with a, I gotta catch the bus, sorry, <laughs> you know? And, uh, I was left there, I missed the bus, the neighbor had to call my grandparents and give me a ride. But from that inauspicious start, uh, our friendship grew. Jeff was the, the guy that I played with every day. He was the guy that I hung out with. Um, he was the guy, he gave me a ride to school. Um, every day I didn't drive. Um, and he, you know, he was just the guy that I hung out with. He was a solid person in my life. And throughout high school, I had kind of a turbulent time in my family or a time when my family was falling apart. And, uh, Jeff's family was a place where I went. That was the place where I learned what stability could be in a family. And I learned, um, what it was parents who talked to each other and what, what it meant to be a son. And a lot of times around the dinner table, I would have dinner over there a lot. And so I, I think of from that start, which is crazy. And, you know, I was in dog kennel to really learning. Uh, what it was to spend time and to invest in that. And, you know, things have happened. Jeff has gone through a divorce of his own, um, and we've been friends um, 
through things like that. And, and it's amazing to see the, the places God puts you in life. And, you know, we have choices every day and, and choices that our culture, uh, speaks to. Our culture says, move, 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 uh, be fast, don't invest deeply. Uh, but the, the culture that Christ introduces to us and that we see from relationships in the Bible is, is a counterculture one that says, invest deeply and then act accordingly from that. Uh, David and Jonathan are a great example of friendship in the Bible. And not, not really because of the manly, let's go shoot bows and arrows type friendship that they had, but, you know, Jonathan died at a young age. He, he died in battle. And in his death, David lost essentially a brother. And he had, he had made a covenant relationship. Not just a, oh, we're pals. You live by me. We'll hang out. But he, they made an intentional friendship where, uh, David vowed to be Jonathan's family. And that didn't start in an auspicious way either. That, came under the fire of Jonathan's father, uh, King Saul, to the, to the point where Saul wanted to kill David because of jealousy and, and fear, and Jonathan showed his loyalty through that. Well, David also shared his loyalty with Jonathan and Jonathan's family, who David promised to be a part of. Uh, the, the scripture I chose to put up here this evening come from uh, Psalm 22, and, and then Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 might be familiar to most of us. It's a very, it is the most famous uh, chapter in the Bible. Uh, and it is a wonderful picture of a safe place. Uh, it's a place where you lie by its streams and green pastures. You're taken care of. You rest. You find rest at the end of a long day. And part of it is there's a table that's set. There's a vision of a table that is there where abundance flows from it. I love uh, this passage in Psalm. And I love because I've, I've taken some time to look at the person who wrote this. King David wrote this. He also, it means more to me too after reading Psalm 22, which is the exact opposite of Psalm 23. It is a, the, the first words of Psalm 22 are, My God, my God. Why have thou forsaken me? That might ring familiar because that is the passage of scripture that Christ uttered on the cross. He, he chose the words of David to share his despair, to show that he felt utterly alone, utterly left by himself. And David wrote these words in a time of turmoil in his life. He, he had some deep family dysfunction, and he lost a son. And he didn't just lose a son in an accident. He lost a, a, His son first turned against him and tried to become king. And then his son was killed by one of David's generals, um, t- who the general thought he was going to find favor by doing away with this rebellious son. Well, that threw David into a profound time of mourning and grief. And he was in the lowest point of his life. And to the point where he honestly cried out to God, why have you left me alone? Why am I dead to you? And David came from that. And I think 
the the full story that we see in this is the the next chapter is a new day for David. He has come out of this somehow. He has found a way out of that dark place. And I have often wondered why these two psalms are right next to each other until I came upon a, a kind of an obscure story out of Second Samuel nine, um, where David uh, was ascended to the throne. Saul died, and David was anointed. And then um, after Saul died, he became king. And it said after the dust settled of his change of administration. Uh, David asked a question. He said, is there anyone left in Saul's family? And Saul, the, his, his people around him said, well, there's one person, and it's, it's Jonathan's son. And that, as soon as I read that, I knew that meant something. Because, because it was Jonathan's son, and Jonathan had died, David's oath meant that this son was now David's. This son was the person that David was, was bound to by that covenant. So David asked for him. He said, where is him? Where, where is he? His name was Mephibosheth, and that's a hard name to say, so I may not say it too much. But um, David said, where is Jonathan's son? And typically in that time when a new king took over, he would naturally kill the, the old king's family. That was just how you did it. Um, he, didn't, he didn't do that, which I think is one of the great ironies of faith and and how God rewrites stories uh, and God has rewritten this by David's covenant um, obedience to Jonathan and that deep friendship well anyway David came upon Mephibosheth and he he found him and asked him to come to Jerusalem and to his kingdom and invited him into his house and there's one there's the he he embraces him and Mephibosheth was afraid and was hesitant to come but then he assured him you'll be all right Come, you'll be safe, I guarantee it. So he came, they embraced. David said to him, you are now a part of my family. You will live the rest of your days in my, in my, uh, kingdom, in, in the, the throne room that I live in, you will live in. You are essentially the prince, uh, the rightful place that he would have had. Uh, and it said the last, the, the last part of the, the story is that it said, that David invited him into his table. And when I think of that table, that was the connection for me to this, is that David had that vision of what a table was in his house with an empty chair. He, he Every single day, the center of his family's existence was a table with an empty chair that his son had once sat in, and had now he, he'd been killed. The action part of David's friendship, the thing that he invested so deeply in, he was committed through the ups and downs, through the over, through Saul's uh, hatred to him and the and the fall of Saul's reign. David was committed to that covenant. He invested in it deeply, and the thing that he got out of that, he invited Mephibosheth to take the empty chair of his son. I think David went into that not expecting really to do anything but honor that covenant. It was a it was a it was a moral demand that he'd taken. The thing that he received out of it was uh redemption and a rewriting of his story. The grief that he experienced that he wrote about in Psalm twenty two, that the absolute emptiness, God why have you forsaken me, is turned by the filling of a table, by a chair that was filled, and it was tur- it turned his mourning into a glad place. 
the reminder of his son's death was turned into redemption by him embracing and fulfilling that covenant friendship. David, that, that friendship with Jonathan, David took seriously. He didn't just say with words, you're restored, uh, but you could, this could come back to bite me. He said, no, you are my son and you are a part of my family. And that action was something that I think surprised, brought a surprise fulfillment to him. He invested in that friendship and it brought a surprise fulfillment and a restoration to his soul. I don't think he went into his friendship with Jonathan thinking, this will be a great healing place in my life. And for a long time, it probably was a place of pain because he lost this person who was as close to him as a brother. But in that, redemption came. And I think when we go into friendships, when we invest in people's lives, the depth of that can be surprising to us. The way that God allows those friendships to, to season, to experience ups and downs, and then to introduce fulfillment or redemption to us is a possibility. Every friendship is a roll of the dice. We, we have the potential to be completely fulfilled or completely burned in those. It's a roll of the dice. There's no guarantee in any relationship that we have. But there is hope, and I think that was something that David uh, was driven by to have him invest in that. And the hope of living in fulfillment and living in right relationship was something that moved him to action, to, to move to care, to seek someone in need, and to invite them to a place of fulfillment in their life, which surprisingly and, and ironically uh, was a great place of healing for him, and I think allowed him to write the words of Psalm 23. So. Great. Thanks, you guys. Well, we're going to open it up. Um, so questions, comments, a question of what either from last week or from something you heard uh, tonight or a comment, something that you that you would offer up that you would share as far as maybe some of the difficulties you find that you bump into or a comment on how, how you Found, what you found to be the most important thing as you think about developing friendships. So, uh, see who's the brave one. So, open it up. Now, I I love that question because I've I've heard of a, I've heard it a lot, and I feel like um, I have I have a number of very deep friendships with other men, and really I feel like I feel see. Um, <laughs> I, I've I've seen that one. I invest time, and and I have it be a priority uh, to spend time. John and I met um, 15 years ago. We have lived in different cities. We have lived across the country from each other. Um, it has cost money to see each other. They have flown to New Jersey to see us. We've driven to Canada, and you know we we have committed to that to say. There's going to be time. And there's also been awkward times in all of my friendships. There's been times where I feel like I don't know you anymore. And I could bolt because of that discomfort. Or I could say, no, you are John. You are my friend. And that's not a feeling. That's not, uh, that's not a comfort level. That's, that just is. And I feel like, um, that is something that has kept 
just a decision. It's been a decision that I, I'm not going to walk away from that, even in awkward discomfort. Um, which, if you know John, I mean, no, I just, <laughs> now or me, you know, there, there's times when I, I genuinely have thought, oh man, this is there anything there? And I've told myself, yeah, there is, and and I'm going to find it. I think, I, one, I just so appreciate the courage that that takes. I think a lot of the guys that I, that I know would absolutely agree with that. And that's a, it's a, it's a hunger that a lot of us feel. And we can have a lot of people around us and still not have that feeling like I am really known by, by guys. That, that I've got guys, sort of that band of brothers, when that came out, guys just ate that up. Because it was like, I want that. I want some. I want that sense that that a guy would be in a foxhole with me and would would stay with me. Um, that 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 kind of a sense. Um, there's two things that come to my mind. I one is I think on a on a skill level for what this sounds like. I think being interested in people goes a long way when you. Not just asking the questions like, hey, how you doing? We guys can do that. Yeah, how's it going? And you know the answer. We always get good. You know, that's it. That's the answer we're going to get. You know, like the, and, and so, but to really find the areas of what in their life are you interested in and take the time. We think we do that. A lot of times we get together and it's just there's, I don't think that depth is generated because we're not finding out, we're not helping them to develop and think deeper, more deeply than they have already. So when you know somebody does something, spend a couple of minutes and say, what is it that about their, what, what are the questions that interest me that I want to ask? There's all sorts of studies that when people do that, they'll walk away and someone will say, that was the most interesting person I've ever talked to. It's so, we're, it's that self-centered. It's like that person just being interested in me. I felt known, but I also felt like, wow, you were fascinating somehow. And so there is an element, I know it, it's one of those terrible things to tell you, don't tell anybody I, I told you that. Um, but but it's, uh, it's a great skill. The second thing is, I have this vision of, I, I have a, a, a videotape, it's a videotape of me at Princeton giving my senior sermon. I don't know if you had to do this. And in my senior sermon, you get one shot to preach in this one, this chapel where these big people, you're so nervous. And my dad was giving communion. And, and I mean, there was my, I had a picture of my grandfather outside of this chapel when he was at Princeton. I mean, it was just a ridiculous amount of nervous. And all my professors are in the back row. And it was like new student Sunday. And so they had like more prospective students. So they had all these kind of people in there. And my friends are all in my front row. And, and, um, and I'm sitting there, and I look at the, the tape later on, and I just look really angry. Like, <laughs> I am telling you, and I'm telling this story. It comes like I saw you, the Henry Nouwen book. There's this great Henry Nouwen story where he talks about Jesus and Peter and this redemption of these two friends, because I think they were good friends. I'm talking about this really tender moment, and I just look really mad. <laughs> and I have no clue about that. And so one of the things that was like, wow, I need to, like, lighten up my face, you know, just like... That alone, I think there's an awareness piece that I think is really, really crucial that a lot of us need. That's where some of this stuff that we're talking about. We need people in our lives. John does this for me. You need, we, we need people in our lives that can help us know what we do that's socially awkward. That's just the, the, you know, the key. And there's a lot of the women that just went, thank you, Dave. We wanted you to thank you. 
Dave. Yeah, that's true. I really believe that we guys think we've got it. We don't know what's happening, but I would say that there is a general need in our community, and I've, I've had this passion since I was a pastor. We've got to have people in our lives, guys, that are willing to go, you know what, when you stand 10 inches from another person's face and you don't know them, they're going to want to back away from you and not talk to you again. So back up. Lower your voice. You know, those kind of simple, basic things. you got to have people that are willing to tell you the hard truth, and that was, or, or get yourself videotaped. That's the other solution. I just have one addition, to to something I said. I, I think guys, too, and this is just a guy thing, find stuff you like doing together, but don't let that ever be a substitute for really talking and connecting. Well, we got to continue on. Let's give these guys a big round of uh, thanks. Let's, let's pray with me, will you? Lord Jesus, I am thankful for, um, for Dave and Dave and Emily and uh, for how you've been at work in their lives and how they have blessed me. Lord, I pray that you would lead us into being a, a community, into being people who um, push out beyond ourselves uh, do uh, self-work, Lord, look at who we are, um, that we would know what you have to say to us, but then we would also take action on that. Lord, lead us uh, to be people who develop those deep friendships. Lord, guide us, help us to know what it is, what's that first step for us to be able to take. Uh, Lord, I pray that, that your church would be a place where people can be actually known. pray that this would be a place where, you're, where we can be known.